You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. We're speaking with Jeremy Lassen of Nightshade Books. He's at Comic-Con 2008. Thank you for joining me, Jeremy. Yeah, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. It's been a busy weekend, but uh, glad to have a chance to talk to you. So tell me, uh, what has struck you as being most interesting at this huge convention? Well, it's it's such a personal thing. I mean, there's so much going on um, from, like, the really high-budget studio releases of movies and promotions of TV shows and DVD releases and stuff like that. Um, one of the actually really cool things that I got to see on uh, Thursday night was a um, uh, this, one of the things that is still cool about Comic-Con is even though there's all this, you know, really, really, you know, big budget promotion studio stuff, you know, they have a full independent film festival track and they have a lot of... Um, you know, still kind of on the ground, cutting edge stuff that's not coming from mainstream Hollywood. And the thing that I saw on Thursday was this uh, um, documentary on H.P. Lovecraft, Lovecraft: Fear of the Unknown. Wow! And it, it's a um, it's a documentary that was just produced and uh, um, released this this year. I guess it was uh, directed and written by um, uh, this guy named Frank Woodward. But um, it just features uh, interviews with um, you know contemporary writers and and directors like. Guillermo del Toro and John Carpenter or Ramsey Campbell and, you know, Neil Gaiman and just people like that. And it was just kind of like back and forth showing the influence of, uh, of Lovecraft. And, um, and it was a really, really nicely done documentary. So that was, I, I hadn't actually realized that they were going to be showing a screening of it here. So that was actually my, my stumbled upon gem, one of those things that makes Comic-Con so cool. Well, tell us, uh, uh, you're a publisher. Uh, what are you doing at Comic-Con? You don't publish comics, do you? Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Comic Con is—it's more of a pop culture convention right now. It's not—it's—it's it's morphed out of comics only, um, and so all of the major science fiction publishers are here. Uh, you know, Random House has their Bantam and Bell Ray. Harper Collins is here. Penguin Putnam is here with their Ace imprint, and you know, Tor is here. Every every major because Comic Con has really made an effort to reach out. They, they got the studio content and the movie and the anime content about, you know, five or six years ago to jump on board. But they've been really trying to reach out and um, capture the written side of science fiction as well. And so, um, like, I, I go way back with Comic-Con. I, I was, you know, grew up here in San Diego. And, you know, back when Comic-Con was the, you know, the cool place that I could go get my Hong Kong action movie bootlegs. You know, <laughs> that's, that's what Comic-Con was when I was growing up. And it certainly changed. And... You know, it's different. I'm not going to say it's, you know, good or bad or one way or the other. It's just different. Um, and part of that difference is, you know, written science fiction is a, is a big part of it. Their programming track features, you know, a lot of top-shelf, you know, science fiction writers. Um, you know, Connie Willis is here. Greg Bear is here. Um, you know, Jim Butcher is here. They, I mean, the, the publishers are really bringing in a lot of writers, and the programming track there's always a really strong science fiction programming track at comic-con so you know and i'm here um promoting promoting a book i've got a um i'm, I'm giving away copies of uh my liz williams series the first book in the liz williams series because you know 
first one's free, but I got other books in the series, and hopefully they'll be hooked. That's a delightful series, and I think appropriate for the people who would be attending Comic-Con. It has a lot of the elements of, uh, you know, graphic novels, and and I'd be interested. Have, have you thought about having somebody maybe adapt some of those stories into uh, a graphic novel or comic format? seems like they'd be per- perfect for it. It does seem like a really, really strong crossover, um, but... One, I don't own those rights, and two, you know, I need to, I need to get, do what I do really well, mm-hmm. and so, you know, it's one reason why, you know, I don't do audiobooks, I don't, you know, I don't stray very far from from the prose because, you know, I still got a long ways to go before I've, you know, mastered the art of, you know, publishing prose and getting the books, you know, out there in as many hands as you know there are possible readers for them, so. I'm kind of focused on that, but no, I mean, my high concept pitch for uh, Snake Agent has always been, you know, John Constantine meets Chow Fat in a near future, you know, Far Eastern setting. And, you know, that's a, that's a description that really resonates to, like, you know, anybody who has a remote interest in Comic-Con. It's like, Chow Yun Fat? John Constantine? Cool. So, <laughs> or at least, you know, that's what I think. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's quite appropriate. So tell me, what are some of the other publishers, the, the big publishers, Ace and HarperCollins, what are, what are they doing there? I mean, do they have booths? And do they, are they doing much beyond, um, you know, bringing their authors there? Well, they're bringing their authors there. They're doing giveaways. Um, like I know Bantam um, brought in um, uh, uh, this first novelist that they just released, David Williams. He's got a novel called Mirrored Heavens. And so, you know, they had a signing at the booth, and they were giving away, I don't know, about five, 600 copies of, of Mirrored Heavens, and he was on panels before that. Um, but they have, you know, the booth with representative stock. They're not selling books, mm-hmm. but they're, um, you know, they're doing targeted giveaways and, you know, having promotional copies or demo copies for people to look at. So, you know, everybody who comes by the Bantam booth is like, when's the next George Martin book coming out? And, you know, everybody's like, grr, don't talk about that. Um, <laughs> That's, um, you know, and the Del Rey booth. Um, Del Rey has a separate Del Rey manga, manga booth. And so, um, you know, it, it's, you know, Ace is there. They've got Jim Butcher. And so they did a lot of giveaways for that. You know, they have promotional, you know, samplers. So, I mean, between having booth signings and having signings upstairs in the autograph area, um, you know, they're, they're cycling through their authors in front of a crowd that um, is sympathetic to that type of thing, you know, but aren't necessarily, you know, people who go to the science fiction of the bookstore twice a week, every week, you know, like, like say, somebody like me. So it's a good opportunity to get your books and your, you know, your brands and your authors in front of people that, you know, would be interested, but, don't, you know, you generally don't have a, a, an ability to reach. Well, that's a, that's an interesting place because, yeah, it's certainly a, a very sympathetic audience. And if you can get their, you know, get them to read something like what you're doing, the Liz Williams books, I mean, that's that's something that they, I think a lot of those people would really like. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's a certain amount of, I mean, it's gotten so big mm-hmm. that it's attracting people who are very peripherally connected to it, but it's, it's become kind of a... a, a you know, a bandwagon to jump on. Right. But I'm all in favor of people jumping on a, you know, a kind of genre, science fiction, fantasy, you know, of whatever medium. Um, and, I mean, this, actually this year, one thing that struck me is there's a really, really lot of kind of Hollywood studio slash, you know, kind of like fringe IP play. Like, so I'm standing at the Bantam booth or by the Bantam booth, and this guy comes up and he asks, well, is this a catalog of all your books? 
And it's kind of a silly question. And he's kind of like semi-young, professional-looking guy, you know, maybe a guy just out of college or something like that. And I kind of looked him, looked him over, and I, I, I thought about his question. I was like, oh, right, you work for a studio, and you're here scouting for, for properties that you should, you know, maybe think you should buy. So he's, looking, he's just looking to pick up catalogs to read the descriptions and, you know, come up with, you know, properties to buy. And that's kind of like a really different, different crowd than in the past. So, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask you about, because it's become so high-profile and so movie-centric and, and kind of cheesy blockbuster-centric, um, what, how that compares to your original Comic-Con of, of yesterday, yesteryear when you went to pick up the uh, Hong Kong bootlegs? Oh, it's very different. Um, you know, there's, there's not as many people, you know, selling individual you know, back issue comic books, you know, there's very few, there's less, you know, dealers with the long boxes of comics. Um, but at the same time, you know, it used to be that it was in three of the halls in the convention center. Now it's, you know, all fills up all seven. It fills up there. They've got the whole convention center. And, you know, I mean, so, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just very different because it was a more, when I was at the Comic-Con you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 15 years ago even, it was more of a, I knew that the people there were real, real consumers of fringe culture, of whatever type of fringe culture it might be, be it, you know, Hong Kong action cinema or, you know, real grognard comic book readers or, or whatever it was. They were extreme consumers of, of that piece of fringe pop culture. You know, to be heavily into manga or anime 15 years ago, it was very different to being into manga now. And so I'm, I less run into people who, you know, I can have a in-depth, passionate conversation about, you know, obscure Italian horror cinema. But at the <laughs> same time, there's, you know, a lot more people that I can have a casual conversation about Italian horror cinema with. So, you know, all of this spring culture has, you know, Come become center stage, or, or another way to look at it is, you know, the niche marketing of, you know, 500 different channel, channels of TV and, you know, the ability to, you know, print and distribute things in smaller quantities just leads to, um, you know, niches being, being very profitable. And so you have, I don't know, just extreme subsets of subsets of subsets of culture that, you know, are celebrated and have a, a very high-profile place here at Comic-Con. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, Comic-Con, we think of kind of superhero comics, manga comics, science fiction comics. Is there a big representation of um, the kind of Harvey Picard uh, pantheon co type oh, of absolutely. comics? Absolutely. I mean, in comic book circles, those type of comics are called alternative comics. Mm -hmm. Because they're alternative to superheroes, and the alternative comic scene has been has been huge and definitely growing. And you know, it's alternative comics almost have a bigger mainstream acceptance rate. You know, because they're they're literary and they're you know they're not quite as embarrassing to be seen with. You know, with the <laughs> big, you know busty women with guns covers and stuff like that. So the crossover potential of alternative comics is actually really big. You get stuff like Alex Robinson and. Um, you know, I don't know, like optic nerve. There's a lot of stuff that really um, has has crossed over, and it's always been a big part of it. Like uh, Love and Rockets, 
um, the Hernandez brothers, mm-hmm. like, have been at Comic-Con since forever. Like, every every year that I've gone, they've always been, like, fan of graphics or Love and Rockets. I've always been able to, like, you know, stop by and chat, you know, about the, you know, chronicles of, you know, what's going on in Palomar lately. And so that's always been a part of it, and it hasn't been pushed out. It's still a strong part of it, you know. I can still run into, you know, get the latest, you know, Scott Pilgrim or, or whatever kind of, you know, crossover weird alternative comic, you know, Oni Press is a, is a, is a publisher. There's a lot of really interesting stuff. And, I mean, I could go on and on. There's a lot of, lot of great companies that are doing alternative comics. And that's a really tough game because, well, the crossover potential is there. It's not, it's, it's not present in the comic book shops. I mean, the direct market, as it's referred to in the trade of, of comic book stores, you know, 90% mm-hmm. of that market is, you know, is the monthly superhero stuff, is Marvel and DC, and they don't carry that much, that many alternative comics. And so the higher profile of places like Comic-Con, getting mainstream crossover really helps, you know, those alternative comics find a wider audience, I think. Now, one of the big features at any kind of science fiction convention is, of course, um, the dealer's table, So, um, or dealer's room. So is there a dealer's room at Comic-Con, and what's it like? Are there, are there people like, you know, Harvey Picard selling their own comics out of the back of a truck? Well, they're not really out of the back of a truck anymore. I mean, the dealer's room, as it is in Comic-Con, the exhibition hall, is um, five or six entire halls of the convention center. So if you... If you if you if you imagine about eight city blocks by three city blocks, um, just wall to wall vendor stalls. I mean, imagine like you know the the um, the little hidden street in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. It's kind of exactly <laughs> like that. It's just you know people selling swords and you know props from movies and books um, and you know. The costuming is so huge that everybody's running around, you know, there's a really high portion of, of costumes. And so, yeah, I mean, the dealer's room, it's not, it's not really a dealer's room. It's, it's the center stage, the exhibition hall of where, all, where everybody sells stuff is kind of like the center stage. And then they have all the, the panels and stuff like that in the, the previews. But where all the action happens at a Comic-Con, you know, from my perspective, is on the floor. Because they'll have the, the, you know, they'll have signings at booths and, but it's, it's also where you stumble across that thing that you would have never heard of before or knew that you were interested in. But you're like, oh, wow, yes, absolutely. This, this weird, you know, statuette of, you know, Cthulhu slash, you know, fuzzy Cthulhu animals. I would have never thought I wanted that. But here's, you know, a company that specializes in plush Cthulhu. You know, that was my find about five years ago. I was like, woo, plush Cthulhu, excellent. <laughs> Now, uh, uh, have you been to any of the big name Hollywood premieres that had, that you thought might have had more substance or more interest or imagination than what we might expect normally? Um, actually, frankly, that's what I have totally avoided at this con. I mean, there's a lot of right now. It's called Hall H, as where all the big like media premieres are at, mm-hmm. and the lines to get in there are just so long. That, you know, I can, I can, for myself, you know, I can go to, you know, I can go online and watch trailers just as easily. I don't have to wait in line for that. And so I haven't seen a lot of it. I haven't seen anything that really stands out. I mean, I'm kind of excited about just from a cheesy, bad B-movie standpoint, 
the Death Race 2000 remake that they're doing, mm-hmm. Jason Statham, looks to be like just nonstop action adventure fun mm-hmm. um, with a relatively savvy cast. But it's it's you know relatively cheeseball entertainment. Um, so I haven't seen any any big you know science fictional stuff that makes me think, boy, I got to run out and see that. I mean, there's a huge promotion. Um, in front of the convention center, there's a, a, a park, and they've rented the space and have all these life-size statues of the mummy, of, like, all the kind of Chinese warriors sculpted in stone. It's like this giant garden of, like, props or, you know, statues promoting the mummy three. And so I see a lot of that, but, you know, nothing jumps out at me as, you know, wow, that's the future of science fiction. Um, <laughs> I think um, you're I, you got the future of science fiction. You got uh, Greg Egan, Incandescence, and uh, Liz Williams, uh, the Snake Agency. Well, that and, uh, and also, also, I mean, it, it is kind of exciting because um, last Sunday, um, Tor.com um, launched. When Tor.com is a kind of online portal site for all that is science fiction. Now it's funded and promo- produced and promoted by by Tor Books. Um, you know the the big science fiction publisher, big science fiction fantasy publisher, but but their their goal or their business model is not to just be a house organ for tour. They cover the complete broad spectrum of science fiction, um, and they you know do interviews and audio podcasts and um, you know content that is you know from everything. Like actually, I just got an offer. Like Jeremy, do you want to you want to blog for tour dot com? And I was like, um, oh, oh, I guess. But what's really funny is on the same weekend, Random House launched their science fiction portal site. So it seems like there's a little bit of an a, a online arms race going on between, uh, between you know, the um, Bertelsmann, the, uh, the Random House owners, and uh, Van Holtzbrink, the, uh, the owners of Tor. Or, uh, and so Subudu, S-U-V-U-D-U, Subudu.com is the name of the big Random House one. And, you know, Random House encompasses, you know, Bantam, Del Rey, um, and a host of other imprints that do science fictional content. And Savudu is a kind of an umbrella portal that, you know, is a place for all of their science fiction stuff. Now, out the gate, Savudu seems to be more focused just on, you know, Random House branded properties, whereas Tor seems to be, you know, more focused on, on a wider range of things. But it's really interesting to see, you know, those two sites launch within the same week um, and being heavily promoted and, um, you know, being heavily promoted here at Comic-Con. And also, you know, Comic-Con is providing a large amount of their of their content. That's something that interests me about these sites, because the uh, the the new popular business model for websites is not that, you know, the person who are the company who um, creates the website provides the content. You used to be, you know, content is king. Now the idea is we provide a, a community and the community is king, or at least all their personal data that they enter in order to log in is. Well, or, you know, it's kind of like peer-to-peer content. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's the lesson of, of MySpace or Facebook, Sure, you know. Sure. Why, why did Yahoo.com, you know, not become kind of a sideline player? Well, you know, MySpace and Facebook are front and central in, you know, the new, new web. And it's like, well, people don't want to, you know, read about, you know, a, there's a lot of interest in, in peer-to-peer consumption, peer-to-peer, you know, communication. 
And, you know, I mean, that's why Prodigy.com failed, you know, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, because they didn't get the Internet. You know, they charged you extra for communicating peer-to-peer, and they had kind of a top-down model. And so I think, you know, Tor.com really has it right where they're, you know, they're encouraging a lot of, you know, grassroots communication and content and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and it's sort of, I mean, something that, yeah, Boing Boing is, a, is another example of that, of, you know, a kind of peer-to-peer, you know, they have a, a, a group of bloggers who, who post and stuff like that, but it's the discussion threads and stuff like that where a lot of the community is generated and a lot of the, you know, reason that people keep, you know, going to that site is to, you know, there's, there's a community that's being built there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and I know um, one of the editors at Tor is uh, relatively heavily involved in, um, in BoingBoing.com and um, Teresa Nielsen-Hayden. And so I'm sure that experience mm-hmm. helped inform what's going on at Tor.com right now. And I'm just wondering, was there um, any... Uh, you you talked about people the movie studios being there scouting for content. How about you? Are you scouting for content? No, I'm scouting for creators. Um, you know, I mean, there's always yeah. writers and stuff I can talk to, but sure. primarily the focus, the business focus for me, mm-hmm. um, is artists. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the one show where I can I can talk to you know the really high-profile, high, high, you know, heavy-duty artists in the field like Donato or, or somebody like that. And at the same time, I can talk to him about, I don't know, the students that just came out of his master class. Mm-hmm. I can look at, you know, a dozen, two dozen different portfolios through the course of the weekend of very targeted, focused, fantastic art um, and, you know, people who are looking to make, make a living doing illustrations, be it for you know, the gaming industry or for, you know, books or for whatever it is, but they are professional illustrators. They're, they're there to, you know, and that's, that's, you know, gold for me because, you know, I have a lot of books coming out and, you know, frankly, I don't have quite the budgets that other, you know, publishers do. So I really have to work extra hard to, you know, find quality artists that can, you know, do something right and do something, you know, on my, to my schedule. It's, Actually, one of the things that takes up a lot of my professional time, my day-to-day, you know, is when I wear my art director hat. And so coming to Comic-Con is, is one of the, the main focuses of mine is to talk to the artists. And, you know, re, re, you know I, I got to see Dave Palumbo and Dan Santos and John Foster, and I've been hanging out with them. And they've been pointing at me, you know, to other artists that, you know, that they know. And they're like, hey, you should definitely talk to this guy and this guy. And so it's a really kind of... A, a good situation to be in. I'm also get to see my my counterparts at like tour. You know, Irene Gallo, who's the art director there, and you know, I don't get to see her because she's in New York. And you know, we can like trade war stories and and um, you know, pass along information and stuff like that. Because you know, we we're both doing the same thing, trying to find the right right cover and the right illustrators for you know that will put the best face on these books. We'll be talking with Jeremy Lassen about all those upcoming titles in our next conversation in the next week or so. And we've been speaking with him from Comic-Con 2008. Thank you for joining me, Jeremy. I will look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, All right, thanks. (laughs) 
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.